Yo, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Collective Podcast, brought to you by Heavy on Celtics. I'm your host for the day, Adam Taylor. Maddie couldn't be with us. I'm joined by not one, but two resident Celtics insiders today. We're bringing you all of the knowledge. So I'm joined by Mr. Sean Devaney and Mr. Steve Bullpet. How are you guys doing? Doing well, Adam. Living the dream here. So just to give everybody a rundown of how it's going to go, we're going to look at the first preseason game against Charlotte. We'll discuss what we thought about the slight alterations in the system, anything we learned from some of the players trying to fight for a position on the roster, and then obviously what we saw from some of the more established stars. We'll then move over to what we think about Joe Mazzula, how he operated and conducted himself on the sidelines, if we've learned anything from him. Does he, is he capable of replacing Ime Udoka's authoritarian approach, or would it be more holistic like Brad Stevens used to be? And then we'll start looking ahead to Toronto. So that's the rundown for the day. And I think the best thing we can start with is that was a really good win considering they couldn't keep control of the ball for most of the game, right? I mean, how are we feeling after that win, guys? Yeah, I mean, I thought, uh, you know, if you're if you're Joe Missoula and you want to take some pressure off, you want to, uh, you know, let let all the stuff from last week, uh, uh, from really the, the, the last 10 days, you want to let all that go, then a 41-point win is the way to do it. You're not there, uh, you know, calling your timeouts. You're not uh, stressing over rotations at that point. Uh, you're just going out there and, you're, and your team's handing you a 41-point win. So uh, uh, it really couldn't have gotten much better for him. Yeah, and the, you know, fortunately they were playing the, the Charlotte Hornets as well, the, the shorthanded Charlotte Hornets, not that the Celtics didn't have their share of, well, Rob Williams out, et cetera. But, um, you know, it was, it was a t- reasonably tight game in the first quarter. And then as they went into the bench, things started to loosen up. And, yeah, the the, the turnovers were a concern, but the, the ball movement and the general energy, I think, had to be encouraging for for a first time out with this group i think for me the turnovers i kind of looked at it like they're playing at such breakneck speed and when you look at other teams that play that type of pace most notably the warriors the warriors are among the top turnover leaders in the league consistently year after year yeah, they after have year been for 10 years yeah right yeah. but they they're so talented offensively that they they can still make up for giving up those extra possessions right and i'm not saying that the celtics are on route to be the warriors far from it they're, they're a completely different entity. There's no Steph Curry in Boston. But what they are doing is if you play at this pace with the amount of ball handling and playmaking that they had by not going with that two-big man rotation, that two-big man lineup, sorry, they gave themselves extra opportunities to make good on the possession after a mistake, which is something they really struggled with last year. And Steve, you mentioned like, you know, it was a tight game until they went into their bench. And the big difference coming off the bench was Malcolm Bragdon. I thought that he really get injected some pace, some great decision-making. And that's going to be a huge boost to Boston moving forwards, right? So when we look at how the lineups went and the rotations went, and you started to see Brogdon get integrated, they kept Jason Tatum in the game a lot longer than what M.A. would have done. used to pull him out around like four minutes in and bring him back with like two minutes left. They played Tatum until three minutes remaining in the first. How do you think that's going to... Like, obviously, they're not going to do that in a regular season, but how were you guys feeling getting to see Brogdon start to get implemented and acclimated with Tatum and Brown? Well, look, I, I think that's going to be a huge part of what they do, and, and the most important part of that is making sure you can get Malcolm Brogdon through the season healthy. Um, that's been his big issue, right? So, um, you know, look, the, the pace wasn't great in the first quarter. It did open up. 
Um, but I, I think they can still run with their two big lineup because you're going to have uh, Rob Williams is is a, a floor runner and um, Al Horford can get up and down the floor as well. So what the benefit you're getting on defense there, which is what really got the Celtics where they got last year, was the defense and and what the two bigs do for for uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, allowing them to play against to to have the size advantage in their in their positions. I think it's hard to go away from that as long as you get those guys, as long as you get your bigs healthy. But um, you, you mentioned Malcolm Brogdon, huge part of it. But also Sam Hauser, you know, um, the, the, the out, his, look, his, his stroke has never been in question. And he seems more confident and more sure of things now. The only questions I've got with him are, is he going to be able to, are they going to make sure he gets enough minutes, enough touches? Because every shooter needs to be able to, to know the ball's coming um, and just to stay in rhythm. And if that's the case, I think he'll be fine. And he's also got to not be a, a real liability on defense, which he's, I don't think he will be, especially the way that they play the scheme the Celtics play defensively. But um, if you're going to, if you want to get uh, stuff out of a, a, a Sam Hauser and even a, a Peyton Pritchard, who I think is also hugely important here, um, you're going to have to commit to them getting minutes and being able to stay in rhythm. Uh, one of the things that cost you in the finals was when they basically cut uh, Pritchard's minutes in half, his, his shots in half, and you saw tired people um, in the fourth quarter of games, and I think that hurt the Celtics. Yeah, and I, I think with, with Brogdon, I mean, uh, and the way that he worked with Hauser as well, I mean, Brogdon had nine assists, and I think five of them, or either four or five of them were for three-pointers. Um, and, and, and that's so huge for them in terms of getting that, that, that bench rolling and getting, getting that bench and identity. Um, when you, when you look at last year, they averaged 16 points off the bench. That was 26th. They averaged six assists off the bench. That was 26th as well. They weren't getting a lot of production, uh, from their bench. I think having Brogdon, especially a guy who's coming from being a number one, number two option, uh, in Indiana, coming to Boston and, and, and a playing against, uh, uh, reserves to, to start with. And then, you know, he's going to be on the floor, of course, as, as the games end, but he's going to be the third, fourth option. You're know, going from being that top option to, 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 to having that much less, less pressure on him, having a lesser defender on him. That's going to be huge. Uh, you certainly had to like what you see and saw from him. Absolutely. I mean, it's worth remembering, right? That Brogdon's best, seasons of his career came when he was in more of an off-ball role in Milwaukee where he was that third option behind Giannis and behind Chris and he's probably going to be that third or fourth option again now that he's in Boston so if they can keep his minutes managed make sure they can stay on top of his health if he starts to feel sore let him sit games then if you if you're going into the playoffs with a healthy version of Malcolm Brogdon whatever that does look like I mean no one's fully healthy by the time the postseason rolls around then you're probably you're in a much better position now than what you were this time last season. So there's definitely a huge upside to having Brogdon there, but that does bring me on to the center position. I know Steve, you said there's a lot of upside to still running this double big, and I completely agree in terms of creating mismatches, um, defense, having somebody on that rover role like what Rob Williams was, or like and rotating over to protect the ring. There's all sorts of caveats that really make it beneficial to keep going with this double big lineup. But having Brogdon there, along with Derek White, along with Marcus Smart, Peyton Pritchard, 
wanting Jalen Brown at that two position, all of a sudden you're in a position where there's such a like backlog of talent that you need to fit into two positions that it might be a potential possibility that they do roll with one big and maybe move out to a bench role for a while, especially if they have success having to run with one big man while Rob Williams continues to recover. So if we're looking at the center position, how are you feeling about the depth there? And who, how are you feeling about who's going to be number one, number two going through? Because they do, they've just brought in Blake. They've got Rob. They've got Al. They've got Cabangele was really impressive. We'd be remiss to not mention Cabangele. Again, I don't put much stock into a preseason game, but he's definitely going to be an energy guy. I kind of see him like a better version of what Bruno Fernando was meant to be last season for Boston. Um, so there is some depth there too. So it's going to be weird, how well, well, interesting how they manage that. So I'd like your thoughts on the center position and how that rotation, rotation would work. Well, I, I think it's really important to, to start with the two, with the double bigs because it establishes your defense. Um, and if you go back in history, the Celtics became famous for their sixth man. That position was always a small forward who would come off the bench and kind of turn things up and, you know, kind of amp the pace, come in against a guy who was worthy to start, but he was coming in against another team's bench players. So, um, yeah, I, I think I would stick with that, but being able to run guys through and keep the pace up, because pace, I think, was a problem for this team. Um, just you could see it with the eye test, not pushing the ball up. And as, you know, as someone I quoted in a story recently talked about how the – it was a, a mistake, a problem. The Celtics in the playoffs, in the finals especially, having a, a, a Jason Tatum bringing the ball up the floor against pressure and, and spending him that way when you've got guys that, that are perfectly capable of pushing the ball. Um, so anyway, yeah, getting back to your point, the center position, I'd still go with the two bigs because you've got options after that. And a lot of it can depend on you, you've got enough flexibility that you can go matchup wise. If another team, you know, you think that you can really burn them with a small lineup, then go with it. But I still like the idea of establishing your defensive presence early. And because, like, you know, the biggest thing that stops offense is conscious thought. And you can say, well, it's good defense. Yeah, good defense makes you start thinking about what you're doing, you're starting to take away things. And the offensive player isn't just playing by instinct. He's having to think consciously, oh, damn, is somebody where, I'm, where I want to go? I think establishing that at the start is incredibly important for this team still uh, because you need to, they need to have that kind of identity. I think it's what carried them last year. Yeah, you know, I, I liked what I saw from Kevin Kelly. I, I, I think, you know, I, I, and we've been talking about this, Adam. I, I think he has a chance to to, to challenge Luke Cornett, at least for, for whatever that role is going to wind up being uh, on this team. Um, you know, he's a ta- I talked to some guys with the Clippers, uh, and they were saying, you know, he, he, he's got talent. Uh, what happened with him was that he sort of uh, – he wasn't getting playing time. They didn't have a role for him. They were a team that was trying to win in L.A., uh, and 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 they just didn't have a role for him, and he kind of got frustrated, and that 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 sort of fed on itself. But he also, uh, you know, he was fantastic in the G League last year, and you know, he he, he played with great energy. Uh, he, he led them uh, the the team that he was with to uh, the, the G League championship. Uh, not that that counts for that much, 
But I think that going through that, A, being on a, in a winning situation, B, uh, you know, playing in the G League kind of got him energized to, you know, when I get back to the NBA, if I can get back there, I'm going to play with, with high energy. I think we saw that uh, uh, certainly on Sunday. And, 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 man, I hope he keeps it up. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm definitely growing to like this kid. Uh, and, uh, he's not really a kid anymore. I suppose he's been in the league he's 25, 26, but, uh, but, uh, uh, but yeah, you know, he's a, he's a guy who I think, uh, uh, is really worth watching. He's going to be a little bit Marcus smartish, isn't he? At the start. I mean, he's going to, I mean, he's going to make some great hustle plays, but he's going to wind up in the third row a couple of times, right? That's all right. I'm good for it. You I'm know, if you're, playing, if you're playing 10, 12 minutes a game, then, then get yourself into that third row. I, well, I mean, you've got to talk to the people that have those season tickets first, I think. <laughs> uh, you know, look, I, I, I agree with your point, Sean. Um, but I'm saying just be ready for when he, he's going to do five really great things. He might do a couple that are like, what did I just see? What yeah, did, uh, yeah, right, right. He's got that kind of um, that, that youthful energy. He's like a, you know, like a dog when you come home, you know what I mean? And I apologize to uh, Fee at the start right now for comparing him into a puppy, but hey, you know, <laughs> it won't be the first mistake like I make. Won't be the last. Excuse me. He's like a very big version of Aaron Neesmith in terms of energy, right? Yeah. Like, but when Neesmith came flying at you, it was okay. He was going to hurt one or two people. Whereas uh, Kevin Jelly V comes at you, he's taking out like two thirds of a row. So it's going to be a bit of a difference. It might might be some non um, some waivers or non disclosure agreements being signed from the season ticket guys. As long as Fee Cabangeli is in the NBA, there's going to be an NFL team missing an edge rusher. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> so the one thing I want to kind of counter here is both of you guys are very much in with having these two bigs, and I know that for the majority, Al Horford is more of a four than a five at this point in his career. Grant Williams is certainly a four unless you're going small. And even when they went small against Charlotte, they decided to run with Jason Tatum at the five, which I found wildly entertaining, given that yeah. a little bit perplexing. Uh, I think I tweeted like point center Jason Tatum is now a thing. But the one good thing about it was having just that one big and with that big being Horford, most logically, you have this weird, well, excellent opportunity to have ball handling one through five decision-making one through five. You've got external like perimeter inter interior scoring uh, high basketball IQ one through five, the amount of stuff that you can run with these guys and the mismatches you can generate. It's got to be appealing to at least want to keep that rotation in place. Even if you are starting with double bigs, because there's so much versatility there that it becomes almost impossible to guard. And then if you want to take out Derek White and put in Malcolm Brogdon, you give the offense a little bit more of a boost. Maybe the off-ball movement kind of takes a slight hit, but that's perfectly fine because you've got so many weapons around you. So I'm not saying that they should move away from the double big, but I wouldn't I wouldn't mind seeing them kind of approach it more hybrid this year. I felt like MA was very rigid with, hey, we want these two bigs on the floor at all times. And if you can find a hybrid where you can get the best of both, you might actually be able to bring that Celtics offense up a little bit. And if you lose a little bit of defense, that's okay. Because the best defensive team in the world, if they can't put points up, they're going to go far, but you need to score as well. And I said this on a previous podcast. If you look at like the Atlanta Hawks, they've got consistently got one of the best offenses in the league, top 10, sometimes top five. But their defense is always down in that 25 to 30 range. And you can't win games like that. You need a little bit of balance. Um, just to quote Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid, you know, balance. <laughs> you need to push it down. Uh, so I do like the idea of keeping 
some lineups where there's more fluidity with the ball handling and the scoring just to be able to give you extra opportunities to punish defenses, especially when there's a, a slow-footed big man like Plumlee is and you want to be able to really drag him out and then attack that space inside through flex actions or cross actions, that could really open up some extra opportunities for guys like Brant Williams, who apparently has a floater game now, and Sam Hauser that suddenly learned how to cut. So it's going to be fantastic to, to watch how that develops through the season. I'm quite interested. And then the final point from that game, we didn't see Blake Griffin. And if you want to fire back at me for saying yeah, well, that... Yeah, one thing is to, I, I don't, I'm not saying that they need to go double picks all the time. And the smaller lineups, we said mentioning uh, Jason Tatum as a 0.5. Um, I think you have the potential for better movement. Doesn't mean you do. Doesn't mean you're going to have it. Uh, one of the reasons why the Celtics love playing with Rob Williams is because the ball doesn't stick in his hands. When he gets it, it's on to someone else. And that kind of movement is critical. The Celtics lost the NBA Finals because they stopped moving because the ball wasn't going side to side, because the, and I've talked to uh, Warriors players, a couple of whom I saw at Summer League, you know, they could zone in on these guys and just take them, you know, goad them into the one-on-one thing and they ate it up. So the Celtics didn't lose because of anything. They had enough to win. And trust me, the Warriors knew that too. Um, But was it, uh, was it Grant Williams said that, um, you know, we thought we were the better team. We just didn't have, you know, we thought we were the more talent team, but we didn't have enough discipline. Discipline's a talent. And, yeah. you know, if the Celtics don't, aren't going to have that, doesn't matter. But I, to your point, I, I love the idea of being able to go with different lineups and to take advantage of situations and running different bodies in there that keeps guys fresh. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I like that. I don't know. I, I, I like that uh, Brown Tatum uh, white smart Brogdon lineup, you know, didn't I mean that, that I, it's obviously, it's not something you're going to do all the time. Right. But uh, you, you know, you, you, you put that out there and man, you know, I, I forget who they had Plumley. I think Plumley was on Derek white at some point. And, and, you know, obviously you're giving up something on the other end, but uh, I thought, I, you know, I'm, I'm all for uh, the, the, a little creativity that way. And even if you're playing against a team with size and they want to try to take advantage of that, you're going to take them out of the, out of their offense. Right. Right. I mean, you know, I don't mean to go way back in the time machine, but when the, when the, the Hawks would put Spud Webb into the game, okay, um, five foot five Spud Webb, you'd say, well, you can just kill him. You know, when you have the ball, you can just kill him. You would spend so much time trying to take advantage of that matchup that it would take you away from what you do best as a team. So it's like, yeah, you're going to have an advantage there, but you're not going to run your offense. So, yeah, I mean, being able to use these different lineups and and go here and go there, I think is, look, if you've got depth, it's only good if you use it, right? I'm a big believer in utilising the deeper into the bench than what they did down the stretch last year. The last thing I want to touch on before we start speaking about Missoula and how we expect him to deal with rotations and minutes management and so forth is Blake Griffin. So he didn't play in this game. I don't think the signing's been made official yet, which is why he was in street clothes and wasn't on the bench. But he is going to be part of the roster. So from what we saw in game one, understanding that this is all a work in progress and everything's going to develop over time and we might see some different ideas from Missoula. How do you think Blake Griffin's going to fit in? Are you happy with that pickup over some of the other talent that was available? Like, What's everybody's 
how you were feeling? How is it? What, what part of the fence are you falling on with this? I, I like it. You know, I really do. Um, you know, he played all of 25 minutes in the playoffs against the Celtics in that 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 four game sweep. Uh, and, you know, I really thought that he made those 25 minutes count. I mean, he was throwing himself around. He was taking charges. He actually led the league. A lot of people don't realize this. He led the league in charges taken last year. He played about 950 minutes, which isn't all that much, but he led the league in charges taken at 26. Uh, you know, if, if you're going to be a guy like Blake Griffin with his past, um, you know, and, and, and sort of where he's been, that kind of scares some teams from signing you and, and, and having you be the 12th, 13th man on the bench. Uh, but, you know, if you're a guy who shows that I know what my role is now, you put me on there, I'm just going to play with energy, I'm going to throw my stuff around, I'm going to take those charges. Uh, you know, he, he's kind of shown that. So he's got a good balance, I think, of that veteran experience. Good guy in the locker room. Uh, and uh, and like I say, if you put him on the floor, you're not going to get shortchanged with energy. Yeah, I think the, the – well, you mentioned that he – you know, the his – uh, run against the Celtics in the playoffs, they were also hunting him on the other end of the floor. Um, you know, they were hunting him uh, to, to go after him. So I think the most important thing for Blake Griffin as he starts out here is um, getting into the defensive scheme, finding out how he fits in that, and, you know, be able to cover up for any issues he's going to have uh, movement-wise. Um, but, yeah, he's what I like about him perhaps the most is that, He's, he can score, but he's also a guy who moves the basketball. The ball does not stick in his hands. And when you've got finishers, like I'm, you know, getting back to the to the Tatum thing, and it re, relates to Griffin. Um, I want the ball in Tatum's, Jason Tatum's hands as much as possible as a finisher, you know. And that's where he's he and uh, Jalen Brown both can do the most damage. I think a guy like Blake Griffin's a guy who can facilitate that. He definitely improved as a passer once he moved to Detroit, that's for sure. He became one of the better passing bigs in the league. And now Boston has Rob, Al, and Blake, all three of whom are very good passers, very good decision makers, especially at, top, at the top of the key and top of the perimeter. So I, I'm excited to see Blake there. I don't think I'm too upset about not picking up Melo at this point. I think that Blake filled a need a little bit more. Now, don't get me wrong. If Woj tweeted out that they picked up Melo now, I'd still be very happy about it. But... I was higher on Blake than I was on LaMarcus Aldridge. I wasn't really high on Dwight Howard at that point. I think he's, if I saw, I saw something on TMZ the other day, he's seriously considering moving into the WWE. So I'll just watch him there instead. It'll be fine. Um, so I, I'm cool. I think it went well. I think it was a good decision, a good pickup. I do think it makes life a little bit more difficult for Noah Vanley, uh to, to make the roster now because there's only two spots left I, I do genuinely believe they're going to go in with that 15th roster spot left open so they have a bit of room to maneuver and that leaves you with one spot and when I was working it out if you picked up Vanley as well that's over 33% of your roster a big and that's just a bit too top heavy for me especially with the amount of talent at that position which leads us on because there is a lot of talent and there's going to be a lot of game management, a lot of egos to keep in check, a lot of people to keep happy. What's everybody's first impression of Joe Mazzula through media day and then through the interviews after practice and then coming on to how he spoke to about the team and the gratitude he has for being in that position after the first game? What's everyone's first thoughts? Well, um, I think the f considering how recently he became the head coach 
uh, of the Boston Celtics interim head coach, technically. Um, the fact that, you know, there was not a puddle beneath him on the sideline yesterday, major victory. <laughs> he's calm. He knows what he's doing. Uh, I don't think the situation's too big for him. Uh, but I want to step back and give him all the room necessary for him to find his own groove. For uh, he's, you know, It's been a while since he's been a head coach. And, you know, we all know that was at Fairmont State. And I think they were in the uh, – the Southeast division of the NBA for a brief time, but it's been a while, Um, you know, give this guy time. Uh, He's got great relationships with players um, and he's a competitor. He's a, he was a tough player. He'll be a tough coach. I don't think he'll be as public perhaps as MA was at times with criticism, but um, you know, this is a, this is a basketball person. You know, a tough kid from Johnston, Rhode Island, um, you know, who's had a chip on his shoulder at different times, wanted to go to Providence. They didn't recruit him, goes to West Virginia and plays for Bob Huggins. Things worked out really well for Joe uh, as a player. And and now, I mean, I just give him I just say give him room and I think he'll be fine. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I certainly, like I said, the, the 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 first game couldn't have gone any better, uh, and I also think he's handled the, the last week much much better than uh, than a lot of people would have. Um, you know, he does have uh, uh, really he's been in a situ- he's been put in a situation where obviously he doesn't quite have control of the team and and doesn't have quite control of. Uh, you know, what's going on and, and how training camp is structured. You know, I, I, as I understand it, the, the, he's using M.A. Adoka's training camp plan, you know, the uh, which drills they do which day and all that stuff because he doesn't have time to, to put anything else in. Uh, and that's that's got to be tough. Uh, but he does seem to be more comfortable, you know, just looking at his uh, interactions with the media, his, his press situations. Uh, you know, those have all gone uh, better and better. He seems more comfortable joking around a little bit more. Uh, and, and, you know, that's got to be uh, something that uh, as time goes on, uh, that, that that's going to make him more comfortable. He can kind of show his personality a little bit more, be himself a little bit more. I think I think he doesn't quite know how to do that and who can blame him given the the, the situation that he's in. Uh, but, but I do sense that he's at least getting a little more comfortable with how he's handling these things. Sean, his first press conference as coach of the Boston Celtics, he was asked about uh, Brad Stevens' comments, glowing comments about him. And his response was that uh, I think Brad had a concussion that day. <laughs> you know, this, he's fine. And I, I spoke yeah. to him for a bit after practice on Saturday. Um, and he's, you know, I think he'll be fine in this. Uh, but it's a crazy situation. And it remains a crazy situation because, you know, the players are still in the dark about this. The story we um, we've, uh, uh, I guess, published last night and it's up today. You know, Marcus Smart talking about you. We still don't know anything about the MA situation. And that's kind of weird. But, you know, when the weirdness is over, you get on the court and you play basketball. So just to break a bit of news here, it's nothing major. I'd said about five minutes ago that Blake Griffin wasn't Blake Griffin wasn't official. He is now official. He's officially right. official. The press release just went out. So just in case anybody's listening to the show and they're like, hey, you said it wasn't official and then it was official. We were recording before it got made official. That's how you use official five times in one second. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you both touched on separate talking points that we had planned. So I want to amalgamate them. 
Steve, you mentioned how Udo, Udoka was a bit more vocal publicly with the players, and we saw that. And I know that a lot of fans felt some type of way about that. They felt like it rubbed them up the wrong way and that something should be handled more in-house than public. So I want to amalgamate that along with using Udoka's schedule, as Sean noted, in training camp and figure out how you guys believe you can actually keep so much of Udoka and what he's been doing with not being as publicly vocal and still be able to stamp your own like philosophy onto this team. How does Joe go about making his mark and becoming the Celtics head coach? Not in the eyes of the players, but in the eyes of the fans, because it's a lot harder knowing that at the moment you're basically unlike a probationary period at a job where you start and you need to prove yourself and you don't know whether Udoka's coming back or not. And we don't need to get into that aspect, but Joe's in a really peculiar position for a head coach. So how does he go about implementing his own style, putting a stamp on things while also not taking things too far away from how Udoka did things just in case Udoka does come back? Yeah. Well, you know, I think the thing is that you got to remember that he's the one guy that, that MA kept uh, from Brad's staff uh, and and the reason that I did that was because of the relationships that Joe has with the players. Uh, and so I think that if Joe were to come out and, and start publicly bashing players, uh, you know, even if they blow a 25 point lead, if that's not his personality and that's not how he handles things and it does not seem to be, then I think everybody would recognize that as, as false and forced. And I think that's the number one thing is, is, is he doesn't want to do that. He's got to do what, what he's comfortable with. Um, and, you know, just talking to people, it, it, it seems like his style is much more, he's going to take the player into his office and deal with it that way. Um, you know, obviously it worked for MA, you know, to, to, to be public about it and to express, express some of the frustrations that fans felt, you know, when the Celtics were blowing big leads early last year. Uh, I, I just, I don't think that, that we're going to see that much, uh, from, from Joe Missoula. Uh, and I think that's good because I don't think that's his person. I think he's got to stay true. Players will be able to tell if you're BSing, if you're going into a, a press conference to call them out just because you, you feel like that's what you ought to do, not because it's, 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 it's what you actually feel or act, what you actually want to do. Most important thing for Joe Missoula, two words, be yourself. Um, look, I think it can be really difficult when an assistant coach on a team gets elevated to head coach because of his relationship with the players, it's like last year you were the guy that I was going to when things were difficult and we talked through things. And now you're the guy that's telling me what to do. Um, but as long as you're genuine, I think the players can deal with it. Um, and look, Emmy Udoka was a really good coach last year for this team, but he wasn't perfect at it. I was fully expecting a, a better version of Emmy this year having had that first year under his belt. Remember, start of the year, he was he had buried some guys. He was going hard with his veterans, which a first-time head coach, you know, we've seen it before. It happens. Um, so, you know, I, I, and as, as he loosened things up, that's when the team got better. Then he tightened up again at the end, and it, you know, might have screwed things up a little bit. But I was expecting a, a more confident uh, version of M.A. from the start this year. So, again, with Joe Missoula, give him his time. And, uh, you know, maybe because he was the guy that, that was having to smooth things over with a Peyton Pritchard, maybe he understands those guys in that situation a little bit better, and, and he'll be better with it coming out of the gate. Um, but, again, give him, give him time. And as long as Joe Missoula is Joe Missoula, I think he'll be in good shape. 
And the other aspect of this whole thing, you've spoke about how the players are going to relate to him now making that move. But how are the other coaches going to deal with this? You've got guys like Damon Stoudemire, who was a player for a long time. He was a head coach in college. Aaron Miles was also a G League head coach. There's coaches on this staff that may feel they had more experience to step into this interim role than Missoula. Although Joe has been with the franchise longer and he's obviously got the relationships. Do you know? Do you guys know how the other coaches have adapted and whether there's everybody's all on board and moving in one direction, or does there seem to be a bit of a fractious relationship there? I'm from what I've been able to gather so far, being around a couple, you know, being around the team a bit. Um, I think they're fine with it. Um, first of all, they're not going to, they're not going to give up on this situation. Uh, they're in a good spot here, even though maybe they, they felt like they could have been the head coach. They're in this spot. Now they're with a good team. Uh, when a team is successful, that trickles down to the assistant coaches and opportunities come from that, right? So, uh, and there's also, I think, you could say, well, are they on MA's side here? And, you know, will they feel bad because they were MA's guys? You know, they could feel bad with MA because MA is the one who put them in this position. You know, they didn't, you know, anyway, you see what, what, what happened so far and I think guys like Stoudemire and Miles will be fine. Stoudemire was really close with MA, is really close with MA. Um, but I have no doubt that he's going to do his job and uh, and be good at it. Yeah, it doesn't really behoove, uh, you know, the other assistant coaches to, um, to, to not be pulling in the same direction. You know, if you're an assistant coach uh, on a team that, that goes to the finals, say, two years in a row, uh, especially if you're helping a, a rookie interim coach, uh, that's going to look really good on your resume. So, you know, there might be some of that, and and, and certainly that's possible. Uh, you know, that 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 if I'm Damon Stoudemire, I'm looking and I'm saying, you know, I was I was in the league for more than a decade. Uh, you know, I, I I was a head coach of a D1 team, uh, and, uh, and 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 you didn't think to promote me to that role. Uh, but at at the same time, if you want to continue your career. Now's a pretty good time to uh, uh, to make a mark as an assistant, uh, and that'll that'll raise your profile as a head coach. You've also got to look at something else, Sean and, and Adam. I think is that if Ma, if these these are Ma's guys, these assistants, if Ma gets another job, you know they he may want to to bring those guys with him then. So you know maybe they look at it saying, okay, well, you know you might not be you might not want to be here long term. So. Um, you know, I guess there's different ways of looking at it. Yeah. Moving on from the situation with the coaches, because I feel like as Celtics fans, as people that cover the team, all we've done for the best part of a month is talk about the coaching situation. I want to look over, I want to turn our attentions ahead to Toronto. So the Raptors are coming up on Wednesday. They haven't made huge moves this offseason, but they've got some internal development they can lean back on. They did bring in Otto Porter Jr., they're going to be a more, they're better, like they've got good coaching structure with Nick Nurse there. They're going to be a sterner test for Boston than what Charlotte were, in my opinion, especially because Charlotte were missing Hayward and so forth. So what are we looking for? If we, if we were going to sit here now and be like, these are the keys to the game, or this is the most important aspect that we want to see improvement in, where would you guys be telling people or trying to focus your attentions on? Well, obviously, you'd like to see the turnovers come down. You know, you mentioned that playing with pace, especially you know first first uh, uh, 
first preseason game of the year. There's going to be rust. There's going to be some adjustment. Uh, and, 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 you know, I don't think you worry that much about 24 turnovers at this point in the year, of course. Uh, but, you know, you, you do want to see that kind of steadily improve. And, uh, you know, 20 turnovers is a bad game. And, and, and that's how it should be. You shouldn't be much more over 20 turnovers. So I think that's one. The other thing that I saw that I liked um, is, is and, and I, this is something that I'm hoping we continue to see from the Celtics, uh, was, was, was Grant Williams uh, in his passing. You know, I mean, he, he, when, when he gets compared to Draymond Green, uh, I always kind of shake my head because there's one thing that Draymond Green does as well as any big man in the league, and that is pass the ball. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he is, uh, you know, sort of the ultimate point forward. I think Grant is never going to have Draymond Green's uh, passing ability, but I think he could be close. I mean, I think he could be a much better passer uh, if he gets the opportunity to be. Uh, in, in that opening game, it certainly looked like uh, he, he made a point to have that be part of of, of, of what his game's going to be this year. Uh, I hope that continues. So, uh, you know, I think he had four assists, you know, probably could have had a couple more. Uh, but, uh, you know, if he, if he stays around there, three, four, five assists a game, uh, I think that's going to be a, a really nice development for the Celtics. It's funny, uh, after the game last night, uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, went into the locker room, I was, I was talking to Grant, I said, I reached down, I he said, look, you've got a left hand. I didn't know you had one of these. <laughs> he had a couple of really nice moves yesterday with his left. Um, but as far as Wednesday goes in Toronto, the two things I'd want to see out of the Celtics are one, cleaner game. Um, same energy, but cleaner. Number two, uh, I want to see how they deal with Toronto's athleticism. Uh, they throw a lot of, of, of lively bodies at you. And, uh, you know, I, I'd love to see that's given the Celtics problems in the past. They've dealt with it well enough, but um, that's kind of the key to Toronto. And I'd like to see how Boston deals with that. One other thing I'd like to bring up is I'd like to see Jason Tatum kind of take a bit more of a step forward. He, he seemed like he was quite off the pace yesterday. Uh, I don't know whether that was because they were playing at a faster pace and it was an adjustment for him, but out of, the main core guys, he looked to me like the guy that was struggling with Russ the most. I know he got some points upon the board, but he did struggle uh, compared to Jalen Brown, who, by the way, looks like a tank right now. He's put a lot of muscle on his upper shoulders, like upper arms around the shoulder and chest region. I, I am going to be focusing on how Tatum starts ramping things up, and I'm not concerned at all. It's Jason Tatum, but there is definitely a point where I'm, I, I made a joke yesterday on a separate podcast where I said, Oh, it's like the season never ended. Jalen Brown is in beast mode and Jason Tatum is struggling to find that rhythm. And I'm just hoping he can get some form of rhythm back during the preseason so we don't see a carryover into the regular season and have to talk about his shooting struggles for the second straight year. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. There are other podcasts? <laughs> Not good ones. <laughs> oh. um, look, the word I want to, I would keep hammering at Jason, excuse me, at, at Jason Tatum is finisher, be a finisher. Um, there's no reason for him to be spending energy, bringing the ball up the floor, um, having to try to drive on one, which one-on-one, you know, -on -one, which becomes one-on-two and one-on-three very quickly. He should be coming off picks, getting the ball in position to do damage. Um, he doesn't need to be spending himself in, in ways that, that aren't always productive. Um, they've got enough people that, that uh, you can spread the floor and uh, allow him opportunities. The man's a killer. I just don't want him like, you know, 
not having him do the, a lot of the dirty work. And by the way, something we don't talk about much with Jason Tatum, which I think is a huge part of his game, defense. You know, his, his length, how he can get up on people, um, getting in passing lanes, all that stuff. Uh, he has that ability too. And that is huge for this team. How many guys who are really elite scorers are giving you that much on that end of the floor? But as far as offensively goes, Jason Tatum, finisher. That's what uh, the Celtics should be running stuff for him that, you know, runs them off two picks, gets them an open look, uh, gets them an open three, gets them a backdoor cut. That's the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, if it takes more than two dribbles, then, you know, it's, I think it becomes less productive for him. So, you know, take your best weapons and use them in their best form. We did see him do start to incorporate some of that against the Warriors in the finals. We saw him doing a lot more Steph Curry-esque type movements. He'd come yeah. off screens and then like fade back out to the corner and catch the ball and just get a catch-and-shoot shot straight off. Uh, so he was definitely trying to incorporate it into his game. But as you say, a lot of it's going to come down to how the coach wants to implement the offense. And if the coach wants Tatum bringing the ball up, then from yeah. your mentality... like from, And I agree. Like, I think Jalen Brown should be your slashing play finisher and Tatum should be the guy you ask to get into spots and then attack out of them spots as a finisher that way. But, but Jalen, Jalen's got to be a better ball handler to do that too. I mean, he's, you know, he's got to, got to clean that stuff up. Um, yeah. I, you know, and I think the Celtics have Brad Stevens. I think it drove him crazy that this team didn't play with more pace. I mean, he was like a third base coach sending a guy in from, you know, from second on a, on a, a shallow single to left. He was he had his arm rolling all the time trying to get the team to play faster. Um, and it's not going to happen when the ball is being brought up by, by forwards. Um, so that, again, takes commitment to, the, you know, the guys like uh, uh, even smart, but, but Peyton Pritchard making sure he gets time because he's, he's going to help your pace. You know and I mean, for everything else, that's I'm not sure there's a stat that will direct that will relate directly to Peyton Pritchard, but he's the kind of guy that's going to improve your pace and make your numbers overall look better. Sean, any thoughts before we wrap it up? I'm looking forward to Toronto. Let's uh, let's go Wednesday at 7:30. Count me in. So, fun fact: Nick Nurse was the head coach of the Birmingham Bullets, which is a British was it's gone now was a British basketball team in my city. So, I have a slight affinity to Nick Nurse because he was the first head coach I ever met. He's the only head coach I've ever met. I've spoken okay. to him, never met one other than Nick Nurse. So, I have a slight affinity towards him. I don't like how he likes to conduct himself on the sidelines sometimes, but I always like watching the Celtics play the Raptors. So, I'll be excited there. So well, everybody, he's, he's got he's got Drake to keep him in line. So yeah, <laughs> I'd be scared of Drake. <laughs> I, I I mean I'm really tall and I think Drake. I don't think Drake's as tall as me, and I'd still be a little bit scared. Maybe starstruck. Maybe a bit of both. I'm not too sure. I heard Canadians are really friendly. Yeah. Um So we <laughs> so, except when they have hockey sticks in their hands. Yeah, <laughs> that's a fun sport to watch. It's it's not to play. It's, oh, it's to beautiful to play. It's fun to play too. I, I, I pissed off my high school basketball coach immensely when he found hockey gear in my trunk after a road game in Gloucester. There, there's a deep dive for you. <laughs> Here we go. We've got Steve Bullpet, the former NHL. What would you? What position did you play? <laughs> I, 
our, my hockey was limited to friends had ice rented in Lynn, Mass, uh, where Sean and I are both originally from, from midnight to 2 a.m. on Friday nights. And here I was hoping to play basketball further after high school and potentially ruining myself, to which my coach found out, had me come to the gym the next morning, and I think I was able to mop the floor with my tongue by the time we were through. <laughs> Ran my ass off. So everybody, if you've enjoyed this show, please make sure you hit that follow button if you're if you're on an Apple or Spotify device, or if you're using that app. If you're using any other app, hit that subscribe button, especially if you're on YouTube. Feel free to message any of us on social media or share any of the words that you've heard here that you enjoyed or disagreed with. Just tag us and we'll happily get into a dialogue with you over that. And if you are listening to this show, then we've got some good news for you. The next episode that we release will be with a special guest. There's going to be myself, Mr. Devaney, Maddie, and then we're going to be joined by former Celtic Dino Raja. So I'm excited to see how that goes. I know Sean's going to be more excited. And if you listen to the Kenny Anderson episode, you'll know I probably won't say much while we're talking history because I didn't have internet back then because it didn't, it wasn't a thing. So there was no basketball for Adam. Steve, Sean, thank you very much for coming along. And obviously for giving the listeners some insider information that we may not have heard anywhere else. Thanks, Adam. Take care.